Hello, hello, hello. Welcome. Welcome to another exciting episode of Carving the Divine TV. My name is Yujiro Seki, and I'm the director, writer, and the producer of the documentary Carving the Divine. Carving the Divine is about the Buddhist sculptors of Japan, and I'm ready to present it for the first time in the world. But before I do so, I thought it would be a great idea to introduce basic concepts of Buddhism and the history of Buddhism so that when you guys finally watch my documentary, you guys can watch it at the maximum value. With that being said, I have an announcement today. Uh, Michael Jordan Van Huntenbelt, who's been with us for six months, he's going to take a break for a while because uh, he's getting promotions and he's like, going to start PhD program. And he has a lot of things going on. Uh, as much as uh, uh, I love Michael and uh, I love the way he presents the material, uh, it, I would like to have him still, but I have to uh, celebrate his accomplishment and hope one day he'll come back and talk to us. And I'm sure he will. Uh, but meanwhile, the show must go on. So I found a perfect person who can talk about the uh, basic concept of Buddhism and the history of Buddhism, like Michael. He is as qualified as Michael, and I'm excited because he's gonna bring a different taste to carving the Divine TV because he has a different background. With that being said, uh, I would like to uh, introduce uh, our new scholar, uh, Frederick Hewitt. Welcome, welcome, Frederick. Thank you. Thank you so much, Yujiro. Uh, I'm very happy to be here with you tonight. Great, great. I'm excited because you have a, such a positive vibe. So uh, please, please introduce uh, about you uh, to somebody who doesn't know anything about you, please. Certainly. Yes. Again, my name is Frederick Hewitt, and I am the program coordinator for educational and cultural programs at the Japanese Friendship Garden in Balboa Park, San Diego. Um, that's in California, USA. So I studied two years in Japan. Uh, I did part-time work there and uh, I majored in international relations. I've also traveled in China and Korea. I have a deep interest in Buddhist history and art. And I also am proficient in, the, yeah, in Chinese and Japanese, which helps a lot for reading and appreciating Buddhist literature. And I also, um, yeah, I'm involved with a lot of nonprofits here in San Diego. So I'm very excited to be part of your show today and uh, contribute what I know and uh, continue this fascinating dialogue about Buddhism. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, yeah, one thing, you know, I'm fascinated about is like, as you said, like you can uh, speak Chinese and Japanese and you can read Chinese literature and Japanese literature, which is a big plus because what happens is Japanese and uh, English, they are so different languages. So sometimes uh, uh, during the uh, translation process, process it, uh, things get lost or uh, sometimes uh, uh, people misinterpret things. So uh, you as a, uh, uh, the coordinator, uh, you can like, bridge uh, two cultures, uh, two distinctive cultures. So I'm very excited because you, you know, really, you know, who can speak Japanese and Chinese uh, and read Japanese and Ch uh, English uh, and, uh, you know, all that uh, uh, professionally. Uh, please, please. Yes, I'm very excited. 
So I'm gonna go into the question. Uh, last time, a few episodes ago, we talked about the entire history of Japanese Buddhism, which itself is like an impossible task by itself. But Michael did an amazing job and we got the overall picture. Now we're gonna go into the details. So uh, Nanto Rokushu, one of the first Buddhism came into Japan. Uh, it's worth talking about. And yes, yes, uh, please, please, uh, Frederick, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, Nanto Rokushu. Why is it important? Uh, yes, thank you. Excellent question. So. Uh, Nantorokushu is a very important time period in Japanese history, especially for the religion of Buddhism, because uh, this was among the earliest encounters Japan had with China, which is where they got all of their um, information from. Uh, they sent a lot of people to China to study Buddhism, bring back um, what they learn. Uh, they had all the sutras translated, and um, you even you even had a lot of Chinese, Korean, Indian scholars living in Japan during this period. This was in the 700s CE, um, a 80-year period called Nara. And this was a very special time because uh, it was very cosmopolitan. Japan was very open to all these new ideas. And they, um, among some of the founders, you have uh, Ganjin, who was a blind uh, Chinese monk who made six attempts to cross to Japan because back then the navigation was uh, very poor. So it was a dangerous endeavor to try and cross the, the Sea of Japan. Uh, but he believed in uh, the salvation of the people on the island of, of Japan. He made multiple attempts. He, uh, he lost his eyesight and uh, he eventually made it to the Nara capital and he founded the, uh, the Ritsu um, sect. And uh, that temple still exists today. Uh, it's, it's called uh, uh, Taisho Daiji, uh, which is still there. And we also have um, other temples, uh, Horyuji, founded by Shotoku. Uh, Prince Shotoku in the Asuka period, a hundred years before. So uh, the six sects were gathered in Nara and devoted to different sects of Buddhism. Um, yeah, and it was uh, very closely tied to the political social system, so it benefited the scholarly um, aristocratic class um, who is bestowed favors upon the political elite and vice versa. So. Uh, towards the end of the 700s, uh, you had Emperor Kanmu, who became very wary of this growing influence from the priest um, or the religious class. And he tried to distance himself uh, by moving the capital uh, two times, uh, from Nara to Nagaoka, and once more to Heian-kyo, which is today called Kyoto. Um, once he moved it to Kyoto, uh, that started a new time period called Heian. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's sounds like uh, like a Nanto Rokushu, uh, six schools. They had uh, so much influence that uh, emperor had to like go to different place to uh, kind of uh, run away from that influence, huh? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, that's cool. That's cool. So as far as like ordinary people go, so uh, you said that it's only for scholars and the aristocracy. So how do, how do the ordinary people about about it? Do, do they even know about it? Or, so yeah, just to briefly tell us, uh, so what was going on for the ordinary people? Uh, so for common society, uh, it was a little bit more distant. I mean, you had to be uh, literate in reading the scriptures, the, the sutras, and uh, really it was, um, yeah, it was to approach more academically. It was something of a novelty from abroad, from China, from India. Um, but uh, the first, um, earlier, 100 years before, you had Prince Shotoku who had decreed Buddhism as the national uh, religion of Japan. Um, so it had some place in society, but I, I'm not quite sure what uh, level. No, no, I understand. So like they probably knew something about it, but you know, uh, they don't know what they were uh, getting into. I got it, I got it. So awesome, 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 Frederick. So thank you so much for uh, providing us uh, uh, great information. So uh, if you guys think this information is useful, make sure to follow me on Twitter uh, and Instagram and like me on my Facebook and subscribe this YouTube channel. Uh, yes, uh, I have all the social medias ready for you because that's how we do it in the 21st century. So thank you very much, Frederick. So I'll talk to you next time. Yes, it was a great pleasure, Yujiro. I'll see you and everyone next time. Thank you. Awesome.